I invite you to turn with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 7. In your Bibles or devices, 1 Corinthians chapter 7, we're going to start with verse 25. Now about virgins, I have no command from the Lord, but I give a judgment as one who by the Lord's mercy is trustworthy. Because of the present crisis, I think that it is good for a man to remain as he is. Are you pledged to a woman? Do not seek to be released. Are you free from such a commitment? Do not look for a wife. But if you do marry, you have not sinned. And if a virgin marries, she has not sinned. But those who marry will face many troubles in this life. And I want to spare you this. What I mean, brothers and sisters, is that the time is short. From now on, those who have wives should live as if they do not, those who mourn as if they did not, those who are happy as if they were not, those who buy something as if it were not theirs to keep, those who use the things of the world as if not engrossed in them, for this world in its present form is passing away. I would like you to be free from concern. An unmarried man is concerned about the Lord's affairs, how he can please the Lord. But a married man is concerned about the affairs of this world, how he can please his wife, and his interests are divided. An unmarried woman or virgin is concerned about the Lord's affairs. Her aim is to be devoted to the Lord in both body and spirit. But a married woman is concerned about the affairs of this world, how she can please her husband. I am saying this for your own good, not to restrict you, but that you may live in a right way in undivided devotion to the Lord. If anyone is worried that he might not be acting honorably toward the virgin he is engaged to, and if his passions are too strong and he feels he ought to marry, he should do as he wants. He is not sinning. They should get married. But the man who has settled the matter in his own mind, who is under no compulsion, but has control over his own will, and who has made up his mind not to marry the virgin, this man also does the right thing. So then, he who marries the virgin does right, but he who does not marry her does better. A woman is bound to her husband as long as he lives, but if her husband dies, she is free to marry anyone she wishes, but he must belong to the Lord. In my judgment, she is happier if she stays as she is, and I think that I too have the Spirit of God. We live in changing times. Lots of things are changing, and one of those things that is changing is that there are more and more singles. The singles make up a greater uh, percentage of our adult population. In fact, a few years ago, uh, it kind of shifted so that now more than half of adults in the United States are not married. They're, they either never have been married, or they are divorced, or they are widowed. And that, that makes up over half of the adult population in the United States. And I think our culture as a whole uh, is kind of de-emphasizing marriage and kind of uh, uh, elevating the independent, free life of the single. And we certainly see that most dramatically in our, in our big urban centers where the percentage of singles is rising dramatically. At the same time, in our Christian subcultures, uh, we, we do quite the opposite, and that is we elevate and idealize the married state. We, we make marriage and family kind of the ideal. 
And we communicate that in a lot of different ways, wittingly or unwittingly, but we organize around families, and our largest ministries are uh, for children and for teens. And uh, with all the best intentions in the world, we say things like, uh, we are a church family and a church of families. And of course, that's good and it's true, and yet, especially that last part, can leave people who are single wondering, where do I fit it into that? Am I a second class citizen? Where does that leave me? So what's the answer? Singleness, marriage. What, what's God's will? What's God's intent? That's kind of what Paul is going to talk about in this section of 1 Corinthians 7. He's going to be talking to people who are not married. So let's look again at verse 25. Now about virgins, he says. Now, that word virgins in the Greek isn't, isn't emphasizing so much the question of have you been sexually active or not. It, it's, it's emphasizing more are, are, your, are you married or not, your, your relational status. So it, it covers a, a broader realm, including those who have never been married, those who are engaged to be married, and that might be the group he's really talking to right here, those who are engaged to be married, those who are divorced, those who are um, single again, those who have been widowed. In fact, some pe people suggest that uh, this group that he's talking to are some of those temple prostitutes uh, in Corinth who have come to faith and given their lives uh, to Jesus, and, and that he's talking about that. Well, I, I don't know. What, whatever whatever uh, is motivating this, he is talking to people who aren't married. The question is, for people who are not married, should they get married? That's the question. And he assures them right away, right up front, that they are free to choose in Christ. They're free to choose in Christ. Um, Paul kind of uncharacteristically takes, you know, usually he's very strong and adamant, kind of black and white, but, but here he's taking a real balanced, uh, kind of middle-of-the-road view of this whole question. And so we read verses 25 to 28, the following now about virgins, I have no command from the Lord, but I give a judgment as one who by the Lord's mercy is trustworthy. Because of the present crisis, I think that it is good for a man to remain as he is, as a, as a single, or in the station that he finds himself. Are you pledged to a woman? Do not seek to be released. Are you free from such a commitment? Do not look for a wife. But if you do marry, you have not sinned. And if a virgin marries, she has not sinned. All right, so he makes it very clear up front. Both are perfectly good, viable, legitimate options, pleasing and blessed by the Lord. Okay, it's not an either or, a right or wrong issue. He's not going to lay down some strict laws on this. He's going to give wise advice, uh, spirit-filled advice. And we say, well, duh, of course, we know that. Tell me something I don't know. But you know, it's not, it's not always been so obvious in history. The pendulum has kind of swung back and forth. In fact, in, in our group of churches, uh, back the, the early brethren in America, there was one branch that went off, and they formed what was called the Ephrata Cloister. And uh, th this was a group in our family tree. And you can go visit this place to this day. The buildings are still there. Uh, the group isn't there because they taught celibacy. <laughs> so, and not, just, and not just for the unmarried, uh, just their celibacy for everyone. And the group, of course, uh, for obvious reasons, didn't last. But 
Evidently, there was a little strain of this in the church at Corinth. If you look back up at verse 1 of chapter 7, this is kind of what got the whole conversation going here. Paul quotes um, the Corinthians saying, it is good for a man not to have sexual relationships with a woman. It's good for a man not to touch a woman. Well, that, that seems like having an overreaction to the sexual immorality in the culture and sadly also in the church. And it's, it seems to be that uh, where there is license, the kind of people abusing their freedom, often there is kind of an overreaction to legalism on the other side. Oh, then we should all, you know, not, not get married and, uh, you know, f- forego sexual relations and all that kind of stuff. And Paul say, come on, come on, let's have a healthy, balanced view of things here. It's okay, it's okay to be married and it's good to choose to be single as well. But he is going to suggest reasons why singleness could be a good choice, a, a, a calling from God. Look what he says um, back in verse 8. He's going to raise this whole topic. Now to the unmarried and the widows, I say it is good for them to stay unmarried as I do. It's good for them to remain single, to choose to be single uh, as I do. And now he's going to flesh that out a bit. He's going to give us four reasons to consider singleness as a calling. Four reasons to consider singleness as a calling. And when I talk about singleness, I'm not talking about singleness the way uh, in the world they talk about it, which is kind of like, hey, woo, free willing independence, you know, can have my cake and eat it too. Sex without commitment. Yeah, singleness. That's, that's not what he's talking about here, all right? He's talking about that the choice of celibacy, a pure life devoted to God for the sake of Christ and the church, all right? That's what he's talking about. So, reasons to consider singleness as a calling. Number one, look before you leap. Look before you leap. Marriage has its challenges, okay? Uh, Paul is just um, truth in advertising. I'm going to be brutally honest here. He's not trying to be super spiritual. He's just trying to say it like it is. Okay, verse 28, second part. But those who marry will face many troubles in this life, and I want to spare you this. All right, marriage has its challenges. Marriage complicates life and adds stress to life at times. In fact, any time you add any living being to your responsibility, you're going to add a little complication and stress to life. doesn't matter whether it's a plant or an animal or a person. So the other evening, my wife and I were taking our dog, Pinecone. <laughs> yes, it is the best name ever for a dog. So we're taking our dog, Pinecone, for a walk, and and Pinecone is 12 years old, so Pinecone is not going to be among us for much longer. And so we were starting to have the discussion, when Pinecone goes, do we get another dog or not? And we're like, oh, we love Pinecone. Pinecone's been a great dog, and what fun, and perfect timing for the family, and what a joy to have around. But Pinecone ties us down, and, and Pinecone's expensive, and Pinecone snores at night and keeps me up. Every night I, I keep a little, some pillows and clothes so I can throw it at the dog to get it to shut up. And I lose, I, I lose sleep because of Pinecone. And, uh, you know, when I really think about it, Pinecone's a pain. And uh, so we're kind of thinking maybe not, maybe not. Now, people aren't going to love me for this comparison, but 
I think Paul's kind of using that logic here. He's saying marriage is great. It's a gift from God. It's wonderful. It's awesome. But, but, it has its challenges and complications too, all right? So take a good close look before you leap. Not a look at bridal magazines, you know. Take a, talk to people about marriage and the realities and the challenges of marriage. In fact, that word for troubles there, he says that, you know, there'll be plenty of troubles. That word in Greek ha- has the picture of being pressed together, being pressed down, and certainly uh, under pressure, and certainly marriage presses two people together. And there's something really awesome and beautiful and glorious about it that two become one and it's a reflection of God and it glorifies him. And we read verses out of Ecclesiastes, though one may be overpowered, two can defend themselves. A cord of three strands is not quickly broken. And and that's all true, but it's not the whole story. It's not the whole story because what are you pressing together in marriage? You're pressing together two distinct sinners, and you're pressing together their baggage, and you're pressing against together their histories, and you're pressing together their idiosyncrasies, and you're pressing together their emotions, and their wills, and their desires, and their expectations, and you're pressing together their pride, and their anger, and their insecurities, and when you press all that together, you get troubles, okay? By God's grace, he works good things, but it, it creates some troubles. And so Paul is just saying the grass isn't necessarily greener on the other side. Look before you leap. Because marriage has its challenges and its struggles and its problems. And he's not talking just about relational troubles. Just life has complications with family and children and all. But he's saying it, it's not necessarily, it doesn't, it solves some problems marriage does, but it brings with it a whole plethora of other ones. In fact, it doesn't solve all the problems you think it might solve. For example, marriage is not the cure for lust. It's not the cure for sexual temptation. I'm sorry to tell you that, uh, young men, but marriage doesn't solve that problem. As it goes deeper. So it's a heart issue with God. Marriage doesn't even solve loneliness. I, I know people who are very lonely in their marriages. It doesn't have to be that way. But even good marriages have their moments, all right? Have their, have their stresses and it complicates life. And Paul just says, hey, if I can spare you that, then that, that's my suggestion, that you at least look before you leap. <clears throat> By the way, uh, married couples, Paul just gave us a wonderful gift. What a gift he gave us. He said, you know what? When you press two sinful people together, you're going to have some troubles. It's just the way it is. That's not good. It's just true. <laughs> and uh, what he's done is he's, he said, hey, you're going to have some, tr- hey, we're going to have some struggles in marriage. So go get some help. It's okay. Paul says, here's a gift. You'll probably have some, ch- some challenges. Don't just try to do it alone. That's why we have discipleship counseling. That's why we got pastors. Uh, you're going to have some ch- challenges. Don't just keep it to yourself. Get help. Paul's given us the, the past, the freedom to do that. I think it's a good thing. So look before you leap. Marriage has challenges. That's the first one. The second one is eschatology, baby. Everybody say it. Okay, that's a direct quote. Uh, by the way, eschatology is the study of end times, all right? So it has to do with end times, last things, all right? So this is a direct quote because I'm not dumb enough to preach this sermon without having 
had several long conversations with single people in our, con in our congregation. And that's a direct quote from one of these single people. Eschatology, baby, it has, to, it has to do with having a view of the end times, what ultimately matters, eternity. So look what Paul writes here. He says, time is short, and in light of eternity, marriage isn't the highest priority, verses 29 to 31. What I mean, brothers and sisters, is that the time is short. From now on, those who have wives should live as if they do not, those who mourn as if they did not, those who are happy as if they were not, those who buy something as if it were not theirs to keep, those who use the things of the world as if not engrossed in them. We actually confessed this morning that we get infatuated with the things of this world and we need to release them. From this world in its for this world in its present form is passing uh, way. Paul uh, talked earlier about this present crisis, and it doesn't seem like the Corinthian church was under extreme pressure or persecution at the moment, but it would come, and Paul seems to have a sense that there's going to be greater pressure in the future, that persecution is coming. And he says there, the time is short, and that this world in its present form is passing away. What's his point? His point is that in light of the brevity of life, and the impermanence of the, of the things that we experience and know and are familiar with in our life, we need to prioritize in light of eternity, in light of the things that will last. And guess what isn't at the top of Paul's priority list? Thank you. Marriage. Marriage isn't at the top of his priority list. In view of eternity, marriage isn't the most important thing. Paul thought, uh, considering, all things considered, maybe it's best just to choose to stay single and to focus one's life on Christ and the work of Christ in the world. Now, 2,000 years later, it's a little hard for us to work up the same um, energy uh, and excitement about the imminent return of Christ. Nonetheless, the principle is still absolutely true. Life is a vapor. Life is a mist. And all the joys and the pleasures and the delights and the sadnesses of life, they're fleeting. All the business and the busyness of life, it, all, it just all ends quickly. And in light of that, we need to make choices uh, to do what's going to last, what's going to last in eternity. That, that doesn't mean that we take our commitments lightly. When he says those who are married should live as, as if they aren't, he, he's not saying, okay, don't take your marriage vows seriously. That's not what he's saying. You need to, to take your vows seriously. What he's, say, he's not saying we take our commitments lightly. What he is saying is that we make our commitments in light of eternity. We make our commitments in light of eternity. And marriage is not an eternal relationship. It is neither the best thing nor the highest good now or in eternity. It is good. It's just not the highest good in light of eternity. So to both married people and unmarried people, Paul is saying, hold loosely to the things of this world. He's not even talking about sinful things at all. He's just saying things that aren't going to last into eternity, hold them loosely. Hold tightly to the things that last into eternity. Of course, making disciples in Jesus Christ, those are the things that last into eternity. The primary affections of all Christians, 
married or unmarried, needs to be on things above, our hearts set on things above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. So our status or our station in life isn't as important as our commitment to things that are eternal. And we can, we can so easily get into this if-only mentality. If only I were married, or if only I were not married, or if only I had a different job, or if, if only I were a pastor, or if only I had more money, or if only, and Paul says, Don't, if only, if only, if only, no, live your life, whatever your station status is right now, live it in light of eternity for things that last. That is his point. That is eschatology, baby, okay? Keep keeping eyes on the things that last and into eternity. That's the second thing. First reason to consider singleness as a calling is um, that you need, to, you need to look before you leap because marriage has its challenges. It's not necessarily greener on the other side. The second one is eschatology, baby. Keep the end things in mind. Live now for what lasts, all right? The third thing is singleness of purpose. Live for things that last, yeah, but it's a little easier for those who are single to do that fully and completely. That's what Paul's going to talk about in verses 32 to 38. Single men and women can focus on God's purposes. Verse 32, I would like you to be free from concern. An unmarried man is concerned about the Lord's affairs, how he can please the Lord. But a married man is concerned about the affairs of this world, not sinful. He's not talking about sin here. All right, he's just talking about things that are part of our current existence and not necessarily eternal existence. Concerned about the affairs of this world, how he can please his wife. Is it a good thing for a husband to please his wife? Yes, it's good. Say, it's good. It's good. It's It's not wrong. It's good. It's good. And But here's the problem with it. And his interests are divided. It necessarily takes uh, some of our time, energy, and effort. Same thing true of women. An unmarried woman or virgin is concerned about the Lord's affairs. Her aim is to be devoted to the Lord in both body and spirit. But a married woman is concerned about the affairs of this world, how she can please her husband. Is that good? Yes, it's good. I'm not saying this for your own, I am saying this for your own good, not to restrict you, but that you may live in a right way in undivided devotion to the Lord. That's the goal. Undivided devotion to the Lord. That lasts forever. What what you do out of undivided devotion to the Lord is what lasts into eternity, and a person who is not married can devote more of himself or herself to those things. That is what Paul is saying right there. Marriage doesn't prevent great devotion to the Lord, and singleness does not guarantee it. All right? But those who are single do have the potential. You know, there's only so much time in a day. There's only so much energy that we have. There's only much, so much passion. passion. It's, there's only so much heart that we can give. And wouldn't it be great if we could devote it all to Jesus? Yes! But the, rea- the reality is that uh, a single person has the potential for doing that, whereas a married person doesn't. Okay? <clears throat> Singleness of purpose. So, like I said, I I talked to um, a a number of 
people in our congregation who are single or single again to talk about this. And this one aspect really rose to the surface. This was the red thread through all of the conversations is the sense of purpose, purpose for the Lord. And um, the, those who understood their gifting and, and had a clear sense of God's purpose for them and were able to engage their gifting and God's purpose for them and give themselves to it, found a rich sense of satisfaction and fulfillment even in their singleness. That didn't mean that they had no, no sexual desires or no desires to get married. It just means that they were able to find a fulfillment and satisfaction in the purpose that God had for them, fulfilling that purpose. And, and that, that's what Paul is saying is, hey, can you, can you imagine that God has gifted you for a purpose for his kingdom and that you can find satisfaction and delight and fulfillment in giving yourselves fully to that? Singleness of purpose. He says there, again, I'm not trying to restrict you, all right? I'm not trying to tell you what to do here exactly. You're, you're free to marry or to choose to be single, and he repeats that here. He, he always wants to keep that healthy balance here. And he's going to talk about what kind of person can really handle this singleness of purpose. Look at verses 36 to 38. If anyone is worried that he might not be acting honorably toward the virgin he is engaged to, and if he is, his passions are too strong and he feels he ought to marry, he should do as he wants. He's not sinning. They should get married. It's perfectly okay. It's good. But the man who has settled the matter in his own mind, who is under no compulsion, but has control over his own will, and who has made up his mind not to marry the virgin, this man also does the right thing. So this is the kind of person that can do it. It's, it's, it's not, a, it's not a, a being forced by circumstances, but a choice of the will, a conviction of the heart, a settled decision, and it's a person who can control both the physical and relational, emotional, spiritual desires of his heart. Because I think that um, almost everyone has sexual desires. To, to choose to be single for the sake of Christ in the church uh, as a calling is going to mean that you're, you're able to control those sexual desires and make them a sacrifice to the Lord. It, it also doesn't mean that you don't have any desire to get married or for family. It's that uh, for a time or forever, you're willing to, to focus on what the God wants you to do, and you're, you're able to keep those desires uh, under control so they don't consume you, all right? That kind of person who can do that, and it's the minority, all right? That, that person, Paul challenges, uh, maybe you, you should consider singleness uh, as a calling for the sake of Christ and his church, <clears throat> That's the th uh, third uh, reason to consider singleness as a calling. Look before you leap. Eschatology, baby. Keep your eyes on eternal things. Live for what lasts. Singleness of purpose. When there's something beautiful and powerful and strong about singleness of purpose. And the last one is no back door. No back door. Marriage is a lifelong commitment. That's the last paragraph there. A woman is bound to her husband as long as he lives, but if her husband dies, she is free to marry anyone she wishes. Oops, not anyone. He must belong to the Lord. Marry a believer. In my judgment, she is happier if she stays as she is, and I think that I too have the Spirit of God. But here he reiterates, he reiterates um, the commitment of marriage. It's a lifelong commitment till death do us part. And uh, that's a pretty heavy commitment. That's a serious, sobering commitment. 
And Bruce last week in his message talked about the fact that there, there aren't very many exceptions to that rule. Abandonment or marital unfaithfulness. But otherwise, there's no back door. I, I talk to people I'm doing premarital counseling with, and I say, when you're engaged, the back door is closed, but it's unlocked. You can still open it and get out, <laughs> okay? <clears throat> but when you say your vows, you lock, bolt, nail, seal, board up, completely close off the back door, all right? It's a commitment for life. That's a big deal. And when Jesus said these things in Matthew 19, that was referred to last week, and he, he said uh, the standards for marriage commitment, the reaction of the disciples was, whoa, if that's the way it is, <laughs> if that's the way it is, maybe it's better not to get married. And Jesus says, you're right. S some people shouldn't. Some people shouldn't get married. And so uh, that's a huge commitment, and... Uh, Wow, it may be a reason to consider singleness as a calling is, is not to enter into that commitment. It's not a bad commitment. It's a wonderful commitment, but it's a big, sobering, sacred commitment. So what? I've given you Paul's four reasons to consider singleness as a calling. Look before you leap. Marriage has its challenges. <clears throat> eschatology, baby, we need to live now in light of eternity, make, make our choices now in light of eternity. Um, singleness of purpose, being able to focus our life on Christ and the church. Those wonderful songs we said today, we sang today about Christ being a friend and our Savior and more than all else, more than all, that he satisfies and Christ is enough and the joy of serving him and the sweetness of of knowing him, and be, can we test that and believe it and trust it and live that out? And the fourth reason is, hey, just think about it. Um, there's no back door on marriage. Okay, before, before you make that commitment, uh, think about it. So what? Well, I want to say some things to the, our whole church family and, and maybe in there particularly to parents and peers of people who are single. I want to say something to single people in general, and then specifically to singles who really long and desire to be married. And then I want to say something to married folks. <clears throat> so first of all, to the church family and parents, you know, we're guilty sometimes of, of knowingly or unknowingly putting pressure and expectations, foisting them on uh, young adults or people who are single again or... Um, our widows, our widowers, putting pressure on them to get married. <clears throat> and considering the rampant sexual immorality in our culture and the pressures that are there, it makes sense. I mean, it's understandable. However, this passage challenges us to think differently about singleness than we normally do. And it challenges us not to be guided by the culture out there and how they think about singleness. And it even challenges us not to be guided by what's popular in our subculture. What it wants us to be guided by is kingdom culture. To allow kingdom thinking and kingdom culture to invade and um, determine the, what, the choices that we make. In other words, to live in light of Christ and his kingdom and eternity. That that should be our priority. And therefore we should have 
This is what we really need to be able to do, church family. And I, and I know, especially parents, I am a parent, that, that we, we, we project our desires and longings upon our children sometimes. And, but what we need to be able to do is to affirm that choosing singleness, and, and by that I mean celibacy, for the sake of Christ in the church is not choosing second best and doesn't make one a second-class citizen in the church. Quite the opposite is true. God's best may not include marriage. And so we as a church family and as parents need to release our, um, uh, those who are unmarried, those who are single, uh, to follow God's calling in their life, whether it be to, to marry again or to serve God as a single. We need to be able to affirm and to encourage and to support both those decisions. That's a challenge for us. <clears throat> and so we kind of uh, need to repent of some attitudes that maybe we have about that or, or maybe some of our verbiage that we even use. One uh, person was telling me that when Olin Mills was here the last time doing photos for our church directory, they had a sign there that said family photos. And, and this single uh, asked at the office, is that, is that for me or am I supposed to go somewhere else? You know, we, we, we aren't sensitive to the fact uh, that now we want to be a church family for all, genuinely a church family. But how are we going to do that? Uh, well, what we need to do is uh, to, to, and one thing we need to do is challenge young adults to consider singleness for the sake of Christ and his church. But then hold these things in balance like Paul does. It's perfectly good to get married. But, but can, can we honestly challenge people to consider laser focusing their life on Christ and his purposes in the world? And if we do that, though, we as a church need to provide a context, a community for them to do that so that they have friends and so that they have opportunity for ministry, opportunity for fulfillment. Uh, we, need, we need to invite, invite it not into our families and consider this a family time. We should, we should never let anybody sit alone who doesn't want to sit alone. There are a couple of people out there who like to sit alone, I suppose. But, but otherwise, we should never let anybody sit alone in our family time together. Had one of the single ladies say that the, the worship service hour is the loneliest hour of the week. For, let's not, that should not happen among us. And not just sit and get to know in a worship service, but to invite into our adult Bible fellowships and into our small groups and into our ministry teams, uh, those who are single, and not just invite them in and not just allow them to participate, but encourage them to lead. And I think that as we encourage singles to use their gifts in ministry, in, in focusing their lives that way, our whole church family will grow and be more effective in our ministry as we allow that to happen and encourage that. That's the big challenge for us. Now, um, to single people, I, uh, this is sacred ground. And I have not walked in your shoes. So I've been praying that this is from the Spirit through his word. <clears throat> and uh, I just want to encourage you to not think of yourself as having ended up single. Because that sounds like it's, it's second rate or it's second class. Uh, instead, I, I want to encourage you to 
think about the possibility that God may be calling you to singleness for good purposes, for fulfilling purposes, for satisfying purposes. God's, God's call, his, the good things he calls us to aren't always easy at all. They can sometimes be very hard. But they always lead to joy. They always lead to joy in their time. And uh, t- to um, embrace that challenge of am I, am I going to root my identity not in what other people expect or e- even some of my own longings and desires, but am I going to root my identity in Jesus Christ, clothe myself in Christ, find my identity in Jesus Christ, and, and be able to find purpose in, pr- in pursuing his goals using the gifts that he's given me? Uh, that's, that's the challenge there. But we as a whole church family need to encourage and help each other in that. Now, to those who are single but who really, really long and desire to get married, and that's, that's probably the majority of um, our single um, men and women in our church, you know, I don't want to take lightly at all the 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 pain, the hurt, the frustration of unfulfilled longings, of deferred desires, that hurts. And it creates a lot of questions, a, a questions that are hard to answer and, and maybe aren't answerable. But what I want you just to consider is what is going to define you? What is going to define you? Are you going to allow your unfulfilled longings to define you, to put life on hold, and to kind of live in limbo, waiting for this one question to be resolved and answered. That's one way that you can define yourself. Or will you define yourself by your identity again in Jesus Christ uh, and, and be willing to, to, to seek his gifting and his purposes for you and your life as you, as you wait to see God's will work out in your life? What's going to define you? What's going to define you? That's an important question. I want to just give my mom as an example. Embarrassed her to death at first hour. So my mom, I think about my mom. She had four lives, four lives. Um, and what's, what's the same about all of her lives is that, the, is that she gave herself fully to the Lord. She pursued the Lord. She pursued his will in her life. So my mom had her youth, of course, her childhood and her youth. And in her youth, she made a commitment to serve Jesus Christ as a missionary in Africa. That was her guiding commitment. I'm going, as, a, as a young single woman, she said, my, my purpose, my gifting, my focus is to serve the Lord in Africa. And when it came to who she was going to date and who she was going to marry, she said, that's the top thing. So she married my dad, who also had the same commitment, and they did. They were married for 22 years, uh, and they served most of those years in Africa as missionaries. They served as a team. They were married and had kids and had family, but they were serving the Lord. That's why they were in Africa. My dad died young. He was only 49. I was six when he died. My mom was 22 years a widow, 22 years a widow. And the thing she couldn't wait for was to get rid of me. I'm the youngest. She's like, 
finally got rid of Kip, free at last, you know, I can go do, and because uh, she, she was committed to serving the Lord with her life, and so as soon as she got rid of me, I mean, I was barely out the door to college, and she's off to France as a missionary. She served 10 years in France as a missionary, and had all kinds of incredible adventures, and rich, fulfilling time, and it impacted dozens and dozens of lives for Christ, and, and she wasn't looking for marriage, but uh, along came Sterling, and uh, he was he pursued it, you know? And so for the last 24 years now, she's been married to Sterling, my stepdad, and they've, they've served the Lord and gone to places in Africa and around the world and done things. But here's why I tell you that. Here's why I tell you that, is my mom, her mentality was whatever my station or situation or status in life, married, widowed, married again, whatever, single person, young person, the one thing that's true is I'm focused on serving the Lord with my life. And I think she's a good example for all of us. And now my last challenge is to you married folks. You think, oh, I get off on this sermon. You know, nothing for me here. Wrong. <clears throat> I think the big point here is exactly what I just said. No matter what our station, our status, our situation in life, we are called to focus on Christ and to live for Christ and to obey Christ and to follow his leading and to use our gifting for his purposes. And you as a married couple need to do that too. Yeah, Paul says, I can only give half my time to serving the Lord. No, that's not, that's, that's not exactly what he said, okay? He said that we're divided, yeah, but you, don't, you, can, you can commit with your spouse to say, how can we as a couple serve the Lord? What's God's call and what's God's purpose for us as a couple? In fact, if you're engaged to be married or if you're hoping to be married or whatever, you better ask that question. Don't just get married to get married, a big question when you find someone to get married is, how do we believe that God wants to use us? What's his purpose for us? This marriage needs to have a purpose for eternity and not just now. And I believe that's what God's message is to all of us. And we need to help each other in this. Help each other. No matter what our situation, our station, our status, our, our relational status isn't the most important thing about us at all. Our worth isn't determined by our relational status. We are whole without a spouse. We need to treat each other that way. And we need to help each other. Singles and marrieds help each other to focus our lives on Christ and to serve him no matter our situation. Can we do that? Let's choose to do that together. Let's pray. Father God, uh, we thank you that you have loved us so well, the deep, deep love of Jesus, that uh, there's nothing that compares to it. And Father, I pray that all of us, regardless of our situation, we, regardless of our status, regardless of our desires and hopes and dreams, God, that, that, you would, that you would create in us a hunger and a thirst for you above all things, and that, we would, that, that you would quench our desires in you, you and your purposes for us, whether we're married or single, God, what we need most of all is you. So I pray that you, would, that you would do a work in us and then help us as a church family to encourage and to love, to release people, um, to, to serve you as a single or to serve you as a married person, God, but that we would make serving you a focal point of our life. I know that's what you want. I pray that you would do it through your spirit. And all God's people said, amen.